0: Part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.cornerstone.org, or by subscribing to our podcast. Good morning, Cornerstone. It's a joy to be with you this morning and to share with you. And um, those who are listening online, we want to let you know that we miss you and would love for you to be here, but hopefully soon. Uh, things will calm down, and we'll all get together and fellowship one with the other. Uh, please remember to pray for our Sister Ashley Roden. I was told that she lost her dad this morning, uh, this morning or yesterday, I think. So please um, be in prayer for them, and um, and call them and give them some word of encouragement. Encouragement. We have been um, going through some prayers for the last month or so and I want to continue in that line of the great prayers of the Bible. I want us to turn our Bibles to Colossians chapter 1 and we'll read from verse 9 to verse 14. For this reason, we also from the day we heard have not ceased praying for, for you, And asking God to fill you with with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may live worthily of the Lord and please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good deed, growing in the knowledge of God. Verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. For the display of all patience and steadfastness with joy giving thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in the saints inheritance in the light he delivered us, delivered us from the power of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins let us pray father Thank you for your word. We pray that you might speak to our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. Pastor Epaphras visited Paul while he was in prison and shared with Paul regarding the state of the local church at Colossal. It seems that Paul got some positive news regarding the believers at Colossal. The preface also mentions some of the cultural pressures the believers at Colossal were facing, tempting them to turn away from Jesus. We see this today in our society, where our culture is pressuring us, in particular particular, our young people, that God is not real and everything is relative. There's no absolute messages, that are communicated in our media, by our universities and colleges, in our music, by celebrities, by our politicians, that relativism is the order of the day. There are no absolute truth, and everyone, and everyone does what good is in his own eyes. What's right for me may not be right for you, and what's right for you may not be right for me. May I share something with us? God's truth is always absolute. It doesn't matter if we believe it or not. It is always absolute. Chapter 1 verses 1 to 23 talked Paul's focus on Jesus as the exalted Messiah. Chapter 1 verse 24 to chapter 2 verse 5 shows that the suffering that Paul endured that landed him in prison was due to his allegiance to the exalted Messiah. Chapter 2, verse 6 to 23, Paul focuses on the pressure that would cause the Christians or cause the, the Colossians to turn away from Jesus. And then in chapter 3 and 4, Paul explored a new way of life that Jesus' resurrection resurrection opens up for them. After the visit from Epaphras, Paul penned a letter to the Colossians Addressing the issues Epaphras had raised and challenged them to be greater, to have a greater devotion for Jesus. In the prayer of thanksgiving in chapter one, verses three to eight, Paul thanked God for the believers' faith and their love for the saints. He said to, he said, your faith and love came from the hope that you have laid up in heaven, which you have received through the gospel. Our faith and love for others come from the hope we have in Christ, which ultimately comes from the Gospel. The good news of what the, of what Christ accomplished on the cross is what is what gives us hope so that we can have faith and love for others. We must not turn, we must, we must not be afraid to preach that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried according to the scripture. That he was risen according to the scripture. And that he seated at the right hand of the father. Interceding on our behalf. That is the gospel. And we must preach it until he comes. There is not another gospel by which man can be saved. When we preach the gospel it must be clear. It is not a feel good gospel. It is not a do good gospel. It is not a social gospel. There is only one gospel. Christ died, he was buried, and he rose again. That is what we put in. that is what we put our faith in, and we trust nothing else but the gospel. Saving faith involves the mind, the emotion, and the will. The mind is when we understand the truth of the gospel. The emotion is when is when the heart of the the heart is convicted by the gospel, and the will is when we commit ourselves to the gospel. Is our faith in Christ that marks us as being part of the body of Christ? The believers at Colossae, their faith was rooted in Christ Jesus. They did not waver in whom they believed. They knew that the gospel of Christ was credible, and they stood fast in whom they believed. They loved God and they loved the people of God. They sacrificed their lives and they gave what they had. They willingly gave themselves. To the believers, their love for one another was indiscriminate. It did not matter how you look, where you came from, what's your educational background. It didn't matter what's your social, economical economical background, what's your financial statu- status, whether you're from the hood or from the suburbs. They loved people, they loved sacrificially and indiscriminately. The believers in Colossae. Not only believe, but they loved others by practicing their faith. This all happened because of the hope they had in the gospel. This is what we, this, this, this is what gives us hope, the gospel folk. The gospel is what gives us hope. We will not find hope in our politicians, in any religion, in the laws of the land. The only place we can find hope is in the person of Jesus Christ is in the gospel of Jesus Christ the faith and love that you have comes from the hope that you have which comes from the gospel in 1st Thessalonians 4 verse 13 and 13 and 14 says but we do not want to be you we do not want you to be uninformed brother about those who fall asleep that you may not grieve as others who do have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died. And rose again. Even so. Through Jesus. God will bring with him. Those who have fallen asleep. The gospel message. Gives us hope. The resurrection. Gives us hope. The return of our Lord and Savior. Jesus, Jesus Christ gives us hope. Even as we live here on earth. In our finite being. We have an eternal hope that starts at the moment of salvation and goes on into infinity. Our eternal hope starts right here and right now. Paul then in verse 9 to 14 prayed for the church at Colossae. This is my prayer for us here at Cornerstone. Paul said, In light of your faith and your love for the saints and the hope you have in Christ, which is grounded in the gospel that you have received. I have not stopped praying for you. Paul prayed for a few, few things for the Colossians. One, he prayed for spiritual awareness or intelligence, verse nine. First, Paul prayed that the Colossians would have a spiritual awareness or spiritual intelligence. This is my prayer for us here at Cornerstone is that we have a spiritual we, we, we are spiritually aware. Let us not be swayed by every wind of doctrine that comes along that that, that sounds good, but let us intelligently align ourselves up with biblical truth ephesians four uh, fourteen and fifteen says. So we are no longer children, tossed back, tossed back and forth by waves, and carried about by every teaching, by the by the trickery of people who craftily carry out their deceitful schemes. Therefore, be mindful of who you listen and what they are saying, and be and be sure to align the doctrines you are hearing with the Word, with God's Word. In verse 9, Paul specifically prayed that the saints at Colossae filled be filled with knowledge, filled with the knowledge of God's will. When Epaphras spoke to Paul and told him what was going on in the church at Colossae he mentioned that there were some different kind of doctrines that were creeping in the church. Paul did not um, specifically mention the, the false doctrine, but addressed the situation in chapter 2, verse 6 through 10, Paul used two key words in verse 9, fill and knowledge. Paul's desire was, for the, was that the Colossians be filled to have a complete, full understanding of the knowledge of God's will. When filled, we are filled, we are, we, are, we are controlled by the Holy Spirit. He has full leverage in our lives. Notice who is doing the filling. It is not us who is doing the filling, but it is God who fills us to have His knowledge. Cornerstone, our filling should not come from human knowledge. Our filling should not come from human philosophy. Our filling should not come from, from, from human sociology or human psychology, but our filling should come from Almighty God. In order, in order for you in order order to know God's will, we must be filled with the knowledge of God's will. The The idea Paul wants us to grasp is that we must know God. Paul prayed that the Colossians would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. What is Paul saying to us? What is Paul saying to us? Paul's desire is not that we... Paul's desire is not that we have a head knowledge of God and we are able to say the right things and we are able to quote the right scripture verses. Paul's desire is that we have a heart knowledge of God, that we know Him in a personal and intimate way. My favorite passage of scripture is uh, Philippians 3 verse 10, which says, I want to know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering and becoming like him in his death knowing god's will does not come from fleshly earthly man but one that seeks to have a personal intimate relationship one that seeks to have a deep understanding of who the god of this universe is god will give us the intellectual capacity to know his will in all wisdom and understanding. He, give us, he gives us the ability. To know his truth. And how to apply. His truth. God will not leave us to fight for ourselves. He will not tell us. He will not tell us to do something contrary. To his will. He will give us the knowledge. But also give us the ability. To apply. His truth. Secondly. Paul, he prayed for practical obedience, verse 10. Paul tells us that we must, under, that we must understand and know biblical truth in verse 9. The, then, in, then in verse 10, he tells us how to live or apply biblical truth. One cannot live or walk spiritually unless he or she understand biblical truth. This does not mean one has to go to Bible college or seminary in order to know God's truth or read a ton of books other than the Bible to know God's truth. If we want to understand God, we must go to the very source, the Bible, and not some other book. If we are going to live according to God's standard, then we must spend time reading the inspired text, spend time wrestling with God's word. Spend time grappling with this book. The Bible. Spend time grappling with this book. And not some other book. Not some other book. Spend time praying and asking God for wisdom. Which he gives liberally. A true a true, genuine knowledge of Christ. Will reveal his life. A life that is transformed. We cannot walk worthily. Unless the groundwork being done, unless the groundwork work is being done, and that is to spend time in God's word. God does not desire lazy Christians to live or to walk worthily, is to live a life of sacrifice is one of commitment and determination. Worthily has the idea of equal standard. What Paul is saying, Cornerstone, is that a believer must match the standard which God has set out, set, out for, set out for us, which is to live a holy life. Peter tells us, be he holy because I am holy. When we follow God's standard, our goal is not to please man, but to please God. Whatever we do in this life, it should always be to please God. It is certainly not easy, folk. It is certainly not easy to please God. When 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 the world is telling us right is wrong and wrong is right, our standard is not what the world says, but what the holy book says. Paul says in Galatians 1 verse 10, Am, am, I, am I now trying to gain the approval of people or God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a slave of Christ. We are not working for man folk, but we are working for Christ. Let us honor him and obey him in all we do. A person who understands God's truth, who lives or applies God's truth, will honor God by, by bearing fruit. Thirdly, Paul, he prayed for moral Excellence, verses 11, part of verse 10 and verses 11 and 12. Paul prayed that the Colossians would have moral excellence. There are four key results of knowing God's will and pleasing Him that will produce moral excellence. These are, fo- these, these, these are f- bearing fruit, growing the knowledge of Christ, being strengthened with all power, and giving thanks to the Father. Bearing fruit. First one, bearing fruit. I believe has two ideas. One, we bear fruit by the work we do. Evangelism, helping those who are less fortunate. Edifying the saints, encouraging one another, using our gifts and abilities to help others. This is more outward. Second way of bearing fruit is by producing the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so on. Many times we ask the question, "How can I please God?" Simply put, folk, bear fruit. Use our gifts, our talents. Use, our, use, use. A, um, apply, apply our, our abilities. P- a practice of the fruit of the spirit. That's how we we bear fruit. Simply put, it's nothing magical or or something great, but bearing fruit by 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 using your gifts and abilities to edify, to help those who are less fortunate. Secondly, growing in the knowledge of Christ, which we have already talked about. Third, being strengthened with all power. Cornerstone, I pray that as you seek to know God's will and please him, that God will strengthen you with all power. In these times, we need strength and patience. Paul uses some powerful words here. Here, Being strengthened with all power. According to his glorious might. As I read this text. What comes to mind is that. God is the one who gives us the strength. The power. The might to deal with the obstacles we face daily. God gives us the power to overcome resistance. God gives us the strength to endure the hardship. We're facing. James 1 verse 3 says. Because the testing of our faith. Produces endurance. Look at Job. His children. His, his, he lost his children. He, he, he lost his livestock. His, his, his friends abandoned him. His, his wife told him to curse God. And die. Job did not <coughs> turn his back. On God. Job said in Job 1 Verse 21 and 22, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. James 5 verse 10 and 11 says, and after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to eternal glory in Christ Jesus will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. God will give us the power, the strength to endure, to be patient even when the suffering seems unbearable. To remain patient under the heavy load. God did not promise us as believers that we will have no sufferings. He did not promise us that we will live a pain-free life. <coughs> or a trouble-free life. What he said is that he will give us the perseverance. The endurance. The strength. The power. The might. The, the, the patience to navigate through these troubling, troublesome times. God will give us the strength to navigate through the difficult times we have. The last key result of knowing God's will and pleasing him is giving thanks. As believers, we cannot go around being mad at everybody or constantly have a long, a long and sour face. People won't know we are believers if we look sad, mad, and irritable. In first Thessalonians five eighteen says to give thanks in all circumstances. Philippians four verse six says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by a prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, pre- present your request to God. One of the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. The joy of the Lord arises from being under the weight of a terminal illness we are facing. From the struggle of the, of the racial tension that is going on in our society. From the every, from the everyday hardship that we face. We have this joy and we can give thanks for one reason only. And that is because the, of the gospel we have received through Jesus Christ. We can give thanks, folks. We can give thanks. Finally, the blessings of salvation. The blessings of salvation. Paul, as, we, as he prayed for the Colossians, he gave them some reasons why they can give thanks. In all circumstances, you have an inheritance delivered from the power of darkness to the kingdom of his son. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Before we examine these reasons why we can give thanks, I want us to consider something in this text. Paul uses three verbs in verses 12 and 13. Qualified, delivered, transferred. This is significant. All these verbs are in the aorist tense. The aorist tense in the Greek tells us that an action took place in the past. What this is saying to me is that the action God has taken qualified us to His inheritance, delivered us from the power of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of His Son. Nothing um, we had nothing to do. We, our ability had nothing to do with what he has done. Had nothing to do with our, with, with good works or our good looks. Had nothing to do with our financial status. Had nothing to do with our educational background. It all happened because in past, in eternity, eternity past, God was thinking of us. God decided, decided over two thousand years ago to send his son to Golgotha's ill in order to redeem mankind from their sins. God in eternity past <coughs> saw our condition saw our condition and decided to send his only begotten son who knew no sin yet he became sin for us and when he, and when we responded to the gospel he qualified us to his inheritance. He delivered us From the power of darkness. And transferred us into the kingdom of his son. Salvation had nothing to do with us. It's all of God. Before we were even thought of. Guess what? He was thinking about us. God. He qualified us. He delivered us. And he transferred us. Transferred us into the kingdom of his son. The inheritance in verse 12 seems to be referring to the salvation we have in Christ when compared to where we are in the kingdom of darkness without hope, separated from God, alienated from the kingdom of God. But now, because of salvation we have in Christ, we are righteous. We are a shining light. We are no longer children of darkness, but children of light. We are no longer foreigners and non-citizens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. That is who we are. We have an inheritance. Secondly, we have redemption. God rescued us from the slave market of sin. God rescued us from the slave market of sin. We were entrapped, ensnared, destitute, Without hope, heading for hell. Hear what Romans 3, 10 says and on. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, uh, understand. There is, no one, there is no one who seeks God. All have turned away, turned away. Together they have become worthless. There is no one who, who shows kindness, not even one. Verse 18 says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. And then let's read verse chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. God sent his son to pay for our sins. How did he pay for our sins, you ask? He went to the cross and bought us out of the slave market of sin. At a at, at, at time, Satan wants To think, Satan wants us to think that we are not redeemed. We are not purchased by the blood of Jesus. He wants us, he wants to imprison us. To to make us feel guilty. He wants us, he wants to put us back into the slave market of sin. May I say something to us? We are redeemed. We are washed by the blood of the Lamb. The righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of Christ was imputed on us. We are no longer prisoners. We are redeemed by the blood (coughs) of Jesus Christ. That's our position in Christ. We are redeemed. We are redeemed, folk. We are bought from the slave market of sin. And we are redeemed. We can give thanks because we have the forgiveness of sins. Christ has redeemed us from the slave market of sin. And now our debt has been canceled. Satan cannot hold any debt over our heads, saying we owe him something, no. When Christ went to the cross and paid the ultimate sacrifice for our sins, and when we put, and, and when we put our faith and trust in him, our past, present, and future sins, we are forgiven. We are free from the power of sin, the, the the penalty of sin, and soon the very presence of sin. Listen. There are no records. Listen, folk. There are no records. There are no records. There are no more records. No, 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 no historical writings, manuscripts somewhere, of our sins. It has been paid in full to those who have trusted. In Him, let me share something with us. The forgiveness of sin is all because of the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God, in His infinite wisdom, decided to forgive you and me of our sins and position us in Christ because of what He accomplished on the cross. Forgiveness of sin is not of our own doing. It is all because of the grace of God. In conclusion, my prayer, a cornerstone is the same as Paul's prayer. The same as Paul's prayer. For this reason, we also, from the day we heard, have not ceased praying for you and asking God to fill you with knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may live worthily of the Lord and please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good deed, growing the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the display of all patience and steadfastness with joy, thanks, giving thank, thanks to the Father was qualified you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He delivers, delivered us from the power of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. That's my prayer for us, Cornerstone. I pray and sincerely hope That as we seek God, we may understand who he is. And understand the inheritance that we do have in him. That the fact fact that he has redeemed us and he has forgiven us of our sins. It's all because of what he has accomplished on the cross. What he has accomplished on the cross. I pray that this will be our prayers. And we will seek at all times. To honor him in all that we say and do. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are. Father, pray that we might seek you. We might, be, we might seek to be spiritually aware. We might follow you in all that we do. We might, we might apply your truth. And Father, we will give you thanks in all that we see and do, realizing what you have accomplished on the cross for our sins. You have given us an inheritance. You have redeemed us. And you have forgiven us of our sins. Father, we thank you for who you are and what you have done. May we apply your truth to our lives. In Christ's name, amen.